to think about the glory that Jesus has now, God wants us to have and calls us through his gospel to have it. Jesus was glorified as God before he came because that's what he was, was God. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the uh, beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Philippians 2 tells us he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, even the likeness of men. So he set aside that glory for me and you. And yet even in his prayer, just before his uh, arrest and his trial and crucifixion, he prayed that he be glorified with the glory that he had before he came. And at the resurrection, that's what was done. He was glorified, raised, he ascended into heaven to the right hand of God, glorified. And he tells us that he's called us by the gospel that we right to receive that same glory. Uh, it says we don't know, uh, we've not seen Jesus in his glorified state. But John says, though we've not seen him, we love him. And that when he comes, we will see him just as he is. And we'll be like him. That's an amazing thing. That's one of the things that we are as God's people. There's several of them. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure that we won't be able to cover them all in these lessons that we're doing. But I, I want to look at some of them. Some of them will even overlap even in some of the things we look at tonight. There's a passage that was read to us tonight by Jed that talks about with the aroma of Christ. We looked at this once when we were studying in 2 Corinthians, but I want to look at it in a little more detail and look at some other passages as well. He said, Thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. There are several passages that talk about Christians being an aroma or a fragrance, uh, either to God or to those around us. Here he talks about us being an aroma in every place, given the knowledge of him in every place. We'll talk about that more in a little while. But I want you to think for just a minute a little bit about the idea of, of an aroma. There are some things that, uh, you know, you see something and you think back to uh, your childhood or, or a time that was pleasant in your life. Robin and I had, a, uh, we were just, we come to town the other day uh, to go to someone's house to eat before services. And we had about 30 minutes, and there was like a flea market store there. I said, well, let's go in here for a second. We'll look around, and then uh, we'll head on over there. And I saw um, one of these long well buckets, if you know what I'm talking about, that uh, goes down in a pipe. You don't see those much anymore. As soon as I saw that, I saw my grandpappy. <laughs> uh, he had a well, a uh, pipe dug well out the back, and that long bucket, which has a lever at the top and uh, opens up uh, a valve in the bottom. So that when your bucket goes down, fills it up, you pull it up, and then you can take and put that over a regular bucket and open it up, and all the water comes out of it. And I just, you know, something you see like that, you know, puts you right back to when you was a kid. But sometimes you don't have to see something, you just have to smell something. One of the things that I enjoy about blacksmithing is the smell of the coal. Some people don't like the smell of coal burning. I don't mind it if it's not just real strong. But just to smell it automatically puts me back in my grandpappy's house. They burned, they had a, a stove that was not just a, everybody called them pot-bedded stove, but it really wasn't a pot-bedded. It was just a straight stove, and it burned wood or coal. Sometimes he'd burn wood, but most of the time he, he burned coal. He had a coal pile out uh, by the 
shop there that was beside the house, and I can just smell that coal burning in his house uh, anytime that I'm around my forwards or anything or about around anybody else uh, doing any forwards work or burning any coal. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. You go and you smell something and boy, it just puts you back uh, right in that situation that you were with, even though it was years ago. There's a lot to our senses, isn't there? And there's a lot to the sense of smell. He uses this idea of being an aroma. Um, just like he's used many other times, you know, how we're, we're to be salt for the earth. You know, we know what salt is to the taste. Or he says, you're the light of the world. You know, what that is to our vision. Uh, but here he talks about an aroma. And we are an aroma of Christ. There's just certain things like that. I'm sure... When we read John chapter 12 and verse 3, those who were there, and John was there when he is writing these things, John writes these things as a person who was there. You can see that all through the Gospel of John. Uh, when he first goes with Andrew back in chapter 2, uh, having gone to John the Baptist, and then John the Baptist pointing out that Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the, the sin of the world, they followed him, you remember. And he remembers what time of day it was, what hour of the day when they went in with Jesus. He was there. He remembers. He remembers what time of day it was. It's that way we're here in, in chapter 12. Um, we read that Jesus, there in verse 1, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was and Jesus had raised him from the dead. He'd seen that marvelous miracle of raising someone from the dead who had been in the tomb so long that even his sister said by that time if they removed the stone that he would be stinking. But he said Lazarus come forth and he came forth alive. Now they're back at the house after Lazarus is raised and Martha was there serving it says and made him suffer there. But Lazarus was the one who was reclining at the table with him. <laughs> having been raised from the dead. He's going to say he's waiting on supper. But while all that's going on there in verse 3, it says, Mary therefore took a pound of very costly perfume, pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Pure nard. That's one thing to you know, smell some types of perfumes that have been watered down, you know, there's cheaper versions, but to smell the, the real thing, it doesn't take but just a dab of it, does it? For some kind of real expensive cologne or perfume. And you smell it. And sometimes just a certain perfume, maybe something that your wife wore back when you were dating, you smell that, and just, you can remember just, you know, those days when you were together. He remembers what this smelled like. He's writing about it after the fact, but he remembers just like what was going on. Lazarus had been raised. He's sitting there. They're waiting on supper. Martha's serving. But Mary opens up this perfume, pure nard, and it says it filled the house with the aroma, the fragrance of it. And he's using that idea uh, to be figuratively speaking of what we are as God's people. Just as the aroma of coal smoke can put me back to my grandpappy's house, 
or just how the, the thought of the smell of what Mary did here put him right back to where that was and what was going on. That's the kind of effect that we can have on those around us, uh, the way we live our lives. And that's what he's talking about. We are an aroma of Christ. The idea of being an aroma for sacrifices offering and, and things being pleasing to God. Now, we understand God doesn't have uh, two ears and, and, and a nose and eyes, and, but he's personified. God is spirit, Jesus said in John 4. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. But that imagery is using, those metaphors are using to, to get across the idea of what's pleasing to God. When Noah came off the ark, said he built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered a burnt offering on the altar and it says the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. I don't think that really means that God has a nose. He smelled the smoke coming up and it smelled good to him. Uh, I suppose a burnt offering doesn't really smell too good. But it was the fact that it was being offered to him and sacrifice and worship to him. And it was pleasing to him. It was soothing to him. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma. Uh, the Israelites were directed to offer their sacrifices through the priesthood. And then in the tabernacle, and later in the temple, they would bring their animals to the priest, and the priest would offer those burnt offerings on the altar. And he says, you shall take them from their hands and offer them up in smoke on the altar of burnt offering for a soothing aroma before the Lord is an offering by fire to the Lord. And that's mentioned several times that they do that. And it's described as something that is a soothing aroma to God. When you look at these things, all these types and shadows of the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The lamb that was offered was a type of Christ. The sacrifices that they offered and that soothing aroma that would come up was a type of what Jesus would do and his offering. He tells us to, in Ephesians 5 and verse 2 to walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Of course, Jesus wasn't a burnt offering, but those burnt offerings were uh, symbolic of what he would be. He would be the perfect sacrifice, perfect offering before God, and his life and his willingness to go, even though he was sinless, his sacrifice on the cross was a sacrifice that was as a soothing aroma before God. He was well-pleased. God was well-pleased with his son all the way through because he did his will perfectly. You remember when he started his ministry, when he was baptized, there in the first part of Matthew, it says, he come up from the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit lit on him in, in the form of a dove, and the Father spoke and said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. We mentioned the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 this morning. When Jesus was transfigured before them, and here was also Elijah and Moses, uh, each on his side. And, of course, Peter gets excited and said, it's good for us to be here. We'll build a tabernacle for each. 
God made it plain that who he was to pay attention to and who he was to hear was not Moses and the prophets who foretold of the Christ, but he was to listen to his son Jesus, who was the Christ. And again, he says, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Listen to him. God was pleased. For he came to do the will of the Father, and the will was as the seed that was promised to bring blessing to all nations, he would go and have to be bruised by Satan, put on the cross. But he would crush Satan when he would be raised from the dead. And he did this and provided the perfect sacrifice for us. And he's described as a sacrifice to God that was a fragrant aroma. Christians are priests. Now, and here's another thing that we are. We are priests. Uh, and we offer spiritual sacrifices. There's not a separate priesthood. You know, the Catholics have a, a separate priesthood from the people that kind of follows an Old Testament pattern in a sense and form. You don't find that in the New Testament. In fact, what we find in the New Testament, all Christians are priests. And we have a high priest, which is Jesus Christ. We offer spiritual sacrifices of worship to God. And we pray to God through our high priest, Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he urges us by the mercies of God to present our bodies, that is our life, a living and holy sacrifice to God, which is, he says, our spiritual service of worship. The Old Testament priests offered a physical service of worship. They were to take the from the hands of the people, the, the sacrifices, the lamb, he said. And they were to take that and offer it on the altar, and that was to go up in a burnt offering, a soothing aroma to the Lord. Well, that was symbolic of what we would be in the church and what we'd be able to do through Christ. We now are priests, not physically, with a physical responsibility of offering physical sacrifices, but we're spiritual priests in the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom. And we offer up sacrifices, which is our very lives. We do that part of, partly when we come together on the first day of the week. What we're doing now is studying God's word and singing praise to him and taking the Lord's Supper and giving on the first day of the week, singing. All those things are sacrifices, as it were, unto God. But our sacrifices unto God not just on Sunday. Our sacrifices unto God as priests of God involves our whole life. He said, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to the Lord. He says, which is your spiritual service of worship. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, and he talks about how we're priests. He says, uh, begin reading in verse 4, he says, In the coming to him as living stones rejected by men, but choice and precious, uh, precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones being built up into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In fact, he went on there and talked about in verse 9 how that we are chosen race, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people of God's own possession. We are a priesthood and we're to offer up sacrifices. And those sacrifices are to be acceptable and pleasing, soothing aroma. We need to ask ourselves, when we, 
worship God. When you sing praises unto God, that's a spiritual sacrifice. How do you sing? You sing from the heart? Do you sing out? Do you sing as though you are praising God? He says our sacrifices are to be as a soothing aroma to him. He, it needs to be acceptable. We need to sing with the mind, sing with the spirit also. We, it's easy to let your mind drift when you think about the words. Sing from the heart. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Speaking to one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Well, in our prayer, in our study, the word of God as we are now, we're thinking about trying to apply these things to our life. But not just that, but when we're outside the four walls of the meeting house, when we take these things, and really that ought to be the icing on the cake, really, that's for our week, should it? Coming together and getting our batteries charged, as it were, to go out into the world and do what we need to do, live like we need to live. All of our life, we're to be a living and holy sacrifice to the Lord. And so your daily life, as you go through your walk of life, at work or at school, whatever we're doing, is your sacrifice a soothing aroma to the Lord? Christians are priests and their lives of service and worship is to be a sacrifice that's acceptable to God. We can't be like the Israelites were. They were to take their sacrifices and offer them and it was to be pleasing to the Lord, but they could offer sacrifices, but if it didn't go along with a life of service and faithfulness to the Lord, the Lord didn't want it. Our worship can be like the Israelites who because of their insincerity and unfaithfulness caused God to declare their offerings was a smoke in his nostrils and a fire that burns all day. That's not too soothing, is it? If our sacrifice is like that, it's not going to be pleasing to God. You look back over to Isaiah chapter 1. That should be Isaiah 1, 11, I think. 11, 17. Let's look here. I think it should be 11. Look at like, uh, down in verse 11. You know, they, it wasn't that these people wasn't going and worshiping God. The problem was their worship, their spirit, their sacrifices wasn't acceptable to God because it wasn't backed by a life of faithfulness. You look at Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 11. You multiply your sacrifices to me. Well, they were offering sacrifices. In fact, they were offering a bunch of them. He says, I've had enough of the burnt offering of rams. I thought he wanted them. I thought he told them to bring their sacrifices and bring it to the priest and have them to offer them. He says, I've had enough of them. And the fat of the cattle, I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of assemblies I cannot endure. Iniquity and the solemn assembly, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them so that you spread out your hands in prayer. I will hide my face from you. Yet though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Why? Because their hands were covered in blood. They were gifted. You know, a lot of times you hear people pray today look, that we may be forgiven as we come into worship with God, that we may enter into our uh, assembly and into our worship with clean hands and a pure heart. 
That's what he's talking about. They were unclean. They were unrighteous. They wasn't living like God would have them to live. And though they went through the motions of religion, in fact, they were very religious and offered all kinds of things that God had required, but if it's not backed by a life of service, it doesn't mean anything. We can come in and sit on a pew every week, can't we? Go through the motions of religion, but if it, we don't have our heart in it, and if our lives are not matched with a life of faithfulness, God's not going to accept it. You come to Isaiah 65, and this is where he... He mentions that. Isaiah 65 and verse 2. You see how God hated this. Isaiah 65 and verse 2. He said, I spread out my hands all day to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts, a people who continually provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bricks. In other words, they were involved in all kind of idolatry. They come worship God and they go involve themselves in all kinds of, uh, of idolatrous worship who sit on graves and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh, which God had forbid. Uh, they eat the broth of unclean meat in their pot, who say, keep to yourself and do not come near me, for I'm holier than you. They, oh, they had this holier-than-thou attitude, and yet they wasn't living holy at all. He says, these are a smoke, a smoke in my nostrils and a fire that burns all day. I think we can relate. You know, we can think about things that bring back memories, things that we like to smell. <laughs> smell of bread baking. <laughs> there's a lot of good smells in there, but there's some that are just terrible. I don't like to smell leaves burning. You, that's all about this time of year. They burn leaves. And what's even worse than that? Smell somebody burning garbage. Right? I don't like to smell burning garbage. I mean, we, we burn. We got an old barrel. We burn a lot of stuff. But I don't like to smell it. In fact, if the wind's blowing a certain way, I won't burn that day. I just don't want to smell it. There's some things that just stink, even can be irritating to us. And God says when we offer our sacrifices to him in a way that's not pleasing, that's not coupled with a life of faithfulness, he says it's like a stench in my nostrils. But he says, that's not what we are as Christians. As Christians, we are the aroma of Christ. And you see that example of those who would be an aroma that was pleasing. When Paul wrote the Philippians, and you remember Paul was in jail, in jail in Rome when he wrote the Philippian letter. And the Philippians had heard about him there, and they had sent to his need, they, I don't know what all they sent him, they, Brought him some things, brought him some money, but they sent to his need, and they done it through a man by the name of Epaphroditus. Traveled all the way from Philippi to Rome. And he says there in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 18, He said, but I have received everything in full and have in abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Paphroditus what you sent. And he describes it as a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. When we help our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, here Epaphroditus brings a gift from the other him and the other Philippians. He brings it, comes all that way, risks his life. In fact, he talks about how he got sick even to the point of death why it was coming. But he finally makes it and brings, his, uh, brings this, the things that Paul needs and sees to his knees. And Paul is so thankful for it. And he describes it 
as a, a sacrifice and a, a fragrant aroma. When you help somebody, and the Bible tells us to help one another and be devoted to one another and brotherly love and Romans chapter 12, it goes on to talk about you know being devoted to the needs of the saints and all the things that we can do to help and serve one another. When we do that, we do it from the right attitude. You know, you can do it and not have the right attitude. That's why Peter tells us to show hospitality to one another how? Without complaint. <laughs> he says when you show hospitality, do so without complaint. Do it because you want to. Go, do it because you want to because you love them. Do it because you want to serve them. But when we do that and help one another, show love toward one another, he says it's, that's part of your sacrifice. That's part of the aroma that we are as children of God, as, as Christians. And that's what Epaphroditus and the Philippians were, and that's what we're to be. We're the aroma of Christ as we walk in love and imitate our Father. When we turn from sin and live our lives pleasing to God like we should, then it's a, a fragrant aroma. Look, look over at Ephesians chapter um, 4 and 5. First of all, let's look there at, at verse, first three verses of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice and a fragrant aroma. That's the passage we looked at, how Jesus did earlier. But now he's telling us to do that just like Jesus did, right? Just like Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice and a fragrant aroma, that's what you need to do. You need to do that by walking in love and being imitators of God. And he, he goes on to tell us how to do that. Not letting sexual immorality or any impurity or greed be named among us as proper among the saints. And there ought not be any filthy, uh, filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which is not fitting, but rather giving thanks. If you're going to be a fragrant aroma, the aroma of Christ is you ought to, you're going to have to set aside doing things that are wrong. And, and that includes what you say and how you say it. There are a lot of people who would claim to be Christians who nothing's ever serious, it's always silly talk, and, and they uh, involve themselves in coarse jesting. We might say off-color jokes and things like that. That don't have nothing to do with a, with a life of a Christian, someone who's being a fragrant aroma of Christ. When we, we do that, and, I'm, and I've known some people that way. I've known some people who claim to be Christians, but when we were at work and at the break table, you know what goes on at a lot of times at the break table at work. If you've ever worked in a factory, you know. And sometimes you can get away from it, sometimes you can't, but you don't have to participate in it. There's all kind of coarse jesting goes on in any kind of workplace I've ever been. It worked public work. I've worked all different kind of places. And some's worse than nothing. So I've worked at steel construction. I'm telling you, there's some pillars of the community that work in steel construction. <laughs> and use all kind of language and had to drive home in the, didn't have a choice, had to drive home in a crew cab with them. First thing they did on Friday was cash their check at the liquor store. So you can imagine how it got before we got home. Do you know how to participate in it? Christian ought not be any part of any kind of silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting. 
If it's not fit to say, don't say it. If it's not fit to hear, don't laugh at it. Don't participate in it. He says, for you know, verse 5, for certainty that no sexually immoral or impure person or covetous man who's an idolater will inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. Don't have anything to do with it. In fact, you look back up at chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, therefore. Well, every time you're reading along in the Bible and it says, therefore, you know, ask why it's therefore. <laughs> it's there for a reason. Because he's been talking about something else. He's kind of come to a conclusion now, and he says, well, therefore, well, what is he concluding? Well, if you back up by verse 20 of chapter 4, he says, you didn't learn Christ in this way. He talked about all these things that they were doing and had done beforehand, but he said, you didn't learn Christ that way. If indeed you've heard of him and have been taught in him as truth is in Jesus. If you live by the truth and the truth that you've heard and what you read in the Bible, you'll not live that way. That won't be the kind of life that you live. He says in verse 22, in reference to your former matter of life, you lay aside that old self which has been corrupted in accordance with lust and deceit, been renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on a new self which is in the likeness of God and been created in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. And he says, therefore, you lay aside falsehood and speak the truth, each one of you with his neighbors, for we are members one of another. Don't be angry, yet, uh, he says, be angry, but sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals steal no longer. Let him labor, perform with his hands what's good in order that he might have something to share with him who's in need. Don't be stealing and don't be just working so that you can lay everything up for yourself. Work so you have something to share with somebody else. Don't let any unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such as good for edification according to the moment. You might give grace to those who hear. If you can't say something good, just don't say it. Be an aroma of Christ before the... the now, so we're talking about things that we do every day. Not just what when we come. It's easy to do that here. Isn't it? Hold another thing to do that at work. Not as easy to act like we ought to act, be what we ought to be when we're not all around Christians who are trying to do the same thing. We're tempted sometimes to do, to do other things. He says, not if you're going to be an aroma of Christ. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit uh, of God by whom we're sealed of the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you and all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, he said, <laughs> There's one of the therefores there. Therefore, be imitators of God and walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. He's saying you do the same thing. You live like that. Follow the example of Christ. Christ's life was a fragrant aroma all the way even to the cross. Fragrant aroma. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It was pleasing all the things he'd done, even giving of his life, and he tells us to look at that example and to follow it. Be an aroma unto God that's pleasing. And then you look at this passage that we begin with. And this is talking about our responsibility, not only for people just to look into our example. We're to teach by our example. In fact, all of us teach by our example, where we think we are or not. You're teaching something good or you're teaching something uh, that's not good. You can have a good example or a bad example. We're all teaching. And he's described that example as 
something that people smell. <laughs> and what God, as he looks upon our lives, what he smells, how, how he looks at it as an aroma. But here it's talking about a responsibility to teach those around us by talking to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, as he talks about preaching, preaching the gospel, we have the responsibility to set an example to those around us, but we've got the responsibility of talking to people about the gospel to those around us. If we live the life of a disciple of Christ, we are a fragrance to God to those around us and the sweet aroma of the gospel manifests to those who are around us. It's a fragrance. Now, turn, if you will, back over there to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and, and begin reading with me there. Um, verse 14, he says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Paul, with those words, kind of painting a picture, and it's something that Paul has probably seen before. He leads us in triumph. No doubt they'd seen that in Corinth. If they'd ever been to Rome, they'd seen it. When the conquerors would come in, the Roman conquerors, when they would go in and they'd win in battle, they would parade through the streets, and the captives would be there before them as they paraded through the streets. And there would be great fanfare. There would be the incense that would be burning as a part of the parade and the uh, celebration. Sweet incense. Christ leads us in triumph. Here are the victors as they come in. That's the picture that's been painted with this. He said, thanks be to God who through always leads us in his triumph and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. To those who were victors, when they smelled that, that was the smell of victory. Wasn't Here their leaders had come in and they had conquered their enemies and their enemies are defeated and being paraded before them who were certain to be executed before long. But those who were on the victor's side, when they smelled that, that was, that was sweet, wasn't it? Sweet victory. But to those who had fought against the victors, those who had fought against uh, those who had come in triumph, when they smelled it, that was a whole different smell. Wasn't it? To them, that was the smell of defeat. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. The gospel is the sweet aroma. And we're to preach it and we're to teach it. Paul was preaching it and he was teaching it. And it was the aroma of Christ that called people unto salvation, the gospel. He says, for we are a fragrance of God, verse 15, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The gospel has one aroma, right? It's for everybody. For those who will accept it, it's a sweet savor. And there's victory and triumph in Jesus. But to those who love sin and reject it, it's an aroma of death. In fact, he describes it. 
verse 16, to one aroma of death to death, to other aroma of life unto life. It's kind of similar to about what Paul said back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He's talking about his gospel as the wisdom that he spoke. Of course, a lot of them rejected it. The Jews looked for a sign. The Greeks, uh, they called it foolishness. He says in verse 6, Yet we do speak wisdom who are among the two, however not of this age nor the rulers of this age who are passing away, because they rejected it. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which is predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understood, or they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. This wisdom, it was wisdom. Some accepted it. For those who accepted it, it was, the, it was salvation. But those who rejected it, it was damnation to them. But we have the responsibility of being as we're led in triumph with Christ to preach that gospel to those around us. And there'll be some who will hear it and who will believe it and join in the victory and the triumph that Christ leads us in. Jesus said that's the way it would be when he told the disciples before he left to go preach it. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's leading in triumph with the gospel. And he said, I want you to be an aroma of that. I want you to take that gospel, take it all over the world. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. There's the sweet aroma. But those who reject it, he says, will be condemned. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that disbelieves, a putrid aroma. One of death unto death. We're to be aroma of Christ. The way we live as a priest who offers sacrifices, our life is to be a sacrifice unto God. And our lives are to be filled as an example, as an aroma, even as we look and follow the example of Jesus. And as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the aroma of Christ that goes out into the world. And the only way that men are going to be saved is when they hear that sweet gospel and obey it. If they don't, they'll be lost. But we have the responsibility of preaching it. We are the aroma of Christ. One of the things we are is to look at the description of God's people. A beautiful way to describe it. Might be that you're here tonight and you're not a part of Christ. You've not come to his sweet gospel. Won't you see it as something that's sweet? Won't you see it as something that's where all blessings is found? Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized should be saved. None sweeter than being saved. Having all your sins washed away, Coming to him in obedience, don't you have hope of heaven? If we reject that, it's death unto death. Separation. Separation from God for an eternity. When we sin, we separate ourselves from God. But to die physically in that situation is to be lost eternally.